Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. It's the JT and Looney Podcast, episode 137. Powered by our friends at Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, college football, touchdown USC, every league, uh, Major League Baseball, the NFL, you know what the leagues are, NBA, NHL, UFC, CIA, BBC, BB King and Doris Day, take it, take it, even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, futures. Head to Bet Online as soon as you can. Right after this podcast, head to Bet Online. You can use your phone or your, your personal PC. And just for being friends with JT and Looney, you get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. But you have to use our new promo code, Believe, B L E A V, 50. That's Believe as in the Believe Radio Network. It's B L E A V, 50. B L E A V, 50. And get your 50% welcome bonus. That's Bet Online, our proud sponsor. Or maybe they're ashamed. I don't know. But they are our sponsor. Bet Online, where the game starts. And now the podcast starts. Damn it. Uh, come in, please. Hey, how you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. You know, I get the privilege almost every night of watching Mookie Betts play baseball. It's unbelievable. And. Like almost when Yasiel Puig became a Dodger in a much different way. He was entertaining, and he didn't want to miss anything from the first inning because he didn't know the rules, and he was a wild stallion, as, as uh, Vince Scully would say. But Mookie knows the rules. He, he, not only, you know, he, um, you know, he bats 300. He hits game-winning home runs. He throws guys out from right field. He does it. I, 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 for me, it's like he bats a thousand because every time I'm looking, he has a base hit. Uh, it's uh, it's really incredible to watch him play. Well, I get a chance to watch Joey Gallo strike out three times a game, <laughs> batting one sixty one. He strikes out literally every time he comes to play. He 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 lives. He played high school baseball when my sons went to high school. Two miles from my house, we were rooting for him. He's going to put on the pinstripes stripes and be a Yankee. Yankees have the best record in baseball, and he strikes out every time up. So, oh, Dodgers have one know. of those. Max Muncy. <laughs> Max Muncy. Well, I think the worst batting average uh, in Major League Baseball at times. And they keep hoping, you know, because they have an all-star team anyway with everyone else. They keep hoping he can he can re, you know figure out uh, how to play baseball again, like he could two years ago. This is a great segue because I want to tie this into baseball. Mookie Betts is amazing, and there's a chance they could get Juan Soto, who turned down $440 million from the Nationals. He's a lot younger than Aaron Judge and the great players in baseball, and he's available for a number of reasons. One, he's already won a ring. The Nationals recently won. They got rid of Max Scherzer. They're going to have new ownership in a year from now, so they're changing ownership. So the new ownership – doesn't want to trade away Juan Soto. They want it now. Get him out of here now so everybody doesn't hate us. So I got a call from a source, a really good source in baseball, who said the Padres are going to get him. I said, wow, Padres. the Padres. He says, yeah, the Padres are the front runner to get Juan Soto. And as you know me, I'm not a guy who throws out rumors. I'm not that guy. I don't right. break news for a living. I don't try to be Glazer, Schefter. And there are times I have good information. I broke the Gronk story. I broke the Antonio Brown story. 
I had that first. So this one was interesting. So I put out a tweet, and I said in the tweet, Tatis would be gone. Now, Tatis is the most, one of the most expensive players, Eve, also over $300 million. Right. As you know, the Padres can't afford Tatis, Soto, and Machado. So, and I, I know the specifics of his contract and what it would take to move Tatis with his contract and no trade. I never said in the tweet he was going to the Nationals. Never said. So right. I think it's going to be a three-way. I didn't clarify it. I almost had to call the FBI. I almost had a higher security outside my house. These Twitter trolls came after me so hard. Even real guys with check marks and scouts and people attacking me violently, verbally. It was it shook me for about a half a day, and then it disappeared because it's Twitter. It well, right, yeah. <laughs> Somebody else said ah, something. God, so and now the it looks like Soto's down potentially two teams, maybe the Dodgers and the Padres. Seven, seven or so people have picked up on this and as, have agreed with me throughout the Twitterverse. But man, it was just a rough experience having people personally attack me, not for the rumor, just a rumor. It's a rumor, Tom. I heard from someone, but the fact that people use that vehicle to attack and get so personal and heinous and just ugly really threw me oh, it threw me for a little bit of a loop it does seem to throw you for a loop and you know i've always had the and durant. Uh, me and kevin durant yes. <laughs> you and kevin, kevin durant, durant. Yeah. but yeah i yeah you've never opened up a ghost account you would be a classic candidate for it <laughs> But fortunately, you've never done it. And I, I've been pleading you uh, with you for years not to read the comments because you've earned your platform. They've just earned enough money to buy a phone. But you're right about one thing that changed. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. But I remember when we go back in the hot tub time machine, we were talking about Kobe, Kobe, Kobe on the radio. And some guy tweeted at me a rape joke about Kobe. And then... I looked at his profile, and he was, you know, the head of a charitable organization. He had his, a picture of a child. Yes, yes, he was holding his daughter in front of a church, and so I retweeted and mentioned that he 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 got he was smart. He took down the tweet. He's like, like he, he this good man, you know, brought out Twitter brings out the high school and people realized, oh my God, he's right. That is a high school tweet for a a guy holding his daughter in front of church on his Twitter page. And there's something about I enjoyed high school. I think maybe that's why I don't need Twitter to bring other people down. But I uh, I think it's brought out the high school in people, and that's too bad. And I, I still you think that. you shouldn't read those comments. I will tell you this, and we'll see what happens, because the source I had was pretty confident he was going to go to the Padres. Enough where I tweeted it, right? Right. You're supposed to have two sources and all that. Well, that, yeah, but, you know, yeah. journalists. Journalists. Yeah, New York Times people. We're in the talk radio business. You're in the talk radio business. We're talking. Gossip is part of talking. Yeah, Bob Woodward likes to have six. Okay. Yes. Oh yeah, he's real, and he and he's what he does is important. But this is sports; it's not as important. Well, I'll tell you this: I'll meet you halfway. If I'm right on this, and he ends up going to the Padres, and somewhere down the road Tatis is gone, I will go after every single. <laughs> it will take me days. I will go one <laughs> by one by one, and I will go after every single person well when you are the lone wolf people come at you 
Uh, if you if like you beat that. if you beat yeah oh yeah when you beat people to a story they get really upset and or when you're with you're only one telling a story, people get really upset and and which is you know both are pretty much the same thing there, and so that's what's happened to you. But let's see, you know, that it's it's amazing. You're right with the attention span of the internet too. Uh, they'll just and with conspiracy theories, same thing. You can just move on. Next day. When I got the Gronk story right, I got it because he was in Tampa for WWE. Remember, he was experimenting with wrestling. Right. And my buddy is a driver and drove him to the Buccaneers facility. Oh, and picked him up wow. And told him. So I had that before anybody because I knew the guy was reliable. We put that out first. We had that. Hey, I, I broke a really cool one back in the day. Uh, the Kobe got married. How about that? I was I went on the air and said Kobe got married. It really didn't people didn't pick up on it. Maybe because I was relatively new talk show host. My name was Looney, and I didn't take it all too seriously. But I had somebody not not that I went I went with the source because it's sports talk radio. And the guy the guy's brother was a photographer. His brother was one of the very few people at the wedding, and the guy sent me an email and told me about it. So I went with it, and I was right. And then one of the uh, local guys asked him at, uh, a couple of days later after a game, and Kobe said, you know, I don't talk about my personal life. But uh, I, had, I broke that shit. The one thing that you don't want to break news on, and I've done it, and I won't do it again, or I try not to, is death. Yes. Because I, uh, Gene Upshaw died, the Hall of Famer. He was once the head of the union. I got that story first, literally first. And I went with it because I got the confirmation by about as big a name as you can get. And then since then, a couple of other Raiders have passed away. And I've been in the inner circle to get the call of the text and been very lucky to be in that inner circle. And I've decided I'm not going to be that guy. Yeah, you don't have to be that guy. Why? Because I get more likes and more tweets and retweets. You know, when it comes to death, you don't want to be wrong. And in the last... And even if you break it, what if you get it out there before somebody who should have heard it from somebody else sees it? Absolutely. There's no upside in it, but we lost the Mafia Kings. Paul Sorvino just passed away. Great actor. We lost Paulie Walnuts from The Sopranos. Another great actor. We lost James Caan from The Godfather, and we lost Ray Liotta from Goodfellas. So it usually comes in threes. We lost four of the greatest Mafia television and movie actors of all time in a matter of two and a half weeks. Well, a, c- a couple of things there. Paul Sorvino, who's interesting, is was a loving family man who came from opera, right? He <laughs> did all those artsy-fartsy things growing up and wasn't a tough guy, but a good actor who played a tough guy. And he, I said he, he always found that fascinating about his tough guy roles because he was not... A tough guy. He came from musical theater, right? And uh, which is usually stereotypically not full of tough guys. And Ray Liotta was totally ripped off with Goodfellas. I never understood that he should have been lined up for Oscars and lined up for Golden Globes, and they gave it to everybody else but him. That was his movie and one of the great movies ever. That you can't you can't turn it off when it's on, and he narrates the movie. I always that always confused me. I told you, the fact that Tom Cruise doesn't have an Academy Award that for too. Born on the Fourth of July and, and a couple of other great movies, yep. tremendous movies, uh, really blows me away. And you're right about Ray Liotta. When Paul Sorvino died, it was very interesting. They showed the B-roll of his daughter 
winning the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. Mm-hmm. And she mentioned her dad. And I never saw a guy broke down so quickly. He went from <laughs> so shocked his daughter won him proud. And then she mentioned him. And if you find the B-roll, he cries as quickly and as fast and as emotional. He was so proud of his daughter. And uh, I really enjoyed him. I enjoyed him in Goodfellas. You know, you talked about Ray Liotta in that movie. Also, you get De Niro. You have a Martin Scorsese film. And the big guy, the big guy, the head of the family is Paul Sorvino. You can't be in that movie and have that role unless you can carry that role. Oh, yeah. Now, people put the role of Ray Liotta up against Godfather roles of De Niro. They really do. They put it right up there with it because it was that good of a role. I'm not going to put Paul Sorvino up there with Marlon Brando, who played the Godfather, but, man, it was damn good, and he was in a lot of that movie. Well, the key to great acting on the big screen is to be small. Uh, You have a wacky TV show on a small screen like Modern Family. you got to be big. And then on the big screen, you got to be small. And when you do it really well, sometimes you don't get the accolades that you should. And, and, and he's one of them. A side note there. Oh, by but, the way, I'm just so happy you mentioned yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis there. Being so small and being in the back. Ah, Daniel Day-Lewis. Here I am, acting. Yeah, right. There's nothing small about him. He is my favorite actor of I all know. time. I... Of all time. <laughs> Sorry to De Niro, who's second because of Jake LaMotta in Raging Bull, my number one movie of all time. But my favorite actor still to this day is Daniel Day-Lewis. Every time I see him, he literally jumps through the screen at me. I can't get enough of him. And he bothers me because he doesn't act. He's another guy who's an actor and doesn't want to act. It's four years oh, yeah. movies. He's the most brilliant actor. I'm dying. And he takes yeah, make a fucking movie. Make right. a movie, Daniel Day. It's a, we used to bitch about that with Tiger Woods when he was on top of his game. You know, he wouldn't go play the BCO, but he, he didn't play golf. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Tom Cruise, just a, a note about treating people in wheelchairs with dignity, respect, and love, and looking at them. We grow up and we're taught not to stare at handicapped and people in wheelchairs. But we make, make sure you look at them. Tom Cruise, I was working at the Sidewalk Cafe in Venice Beach. Tom Cruise, Ron Kovic was a regular there all the time. What a character. I've got Ron Kovic stories. And... Tom Cruise and Ron Kovic were having lunch at the Sidewalk Cafe on a busy weekend. That place is packed. And uh, Tom Cruise sat in his wheelchair. He came in in a wheelchair, sat with Ron. Matter of fact, called ahead of time, which is cool, and said, uh, could you tell Ron Kovic Tom's going to be late? So he probably sat there with a packed restaurant for two or three hours. No one knew Tom Cruise was in the restaurant. Because he was sitting in a wheelchair. And we are taught not to stare at people in wheelchairs. But I think the problem is we've taken it one step further and we don't look at people in wheelchairs. So if Tom Cruise can sit in a restaurant, at the, you know, as, as famous as, and he was still, his fame has been for decades, as famous as you could ever be, and have all those thousands of people go in and out and walking up and down and not even look at the guy in the wheelchair. I don't know anybody in a wheelchair. Or I've been taught not to stare. And so make sure the next time you see anybody in a wheelchair, look. Don't stare, but look and say hello. It might be Tom Cruise. Ron Kovic from my hometown. I always say when you have the celebrities in your life, right. Jerry Seinfeld's from Massapequa, 
the Baldwin brothers and Alex having too many children now. I think he's had 11 with his new <laughs> wife and he's going broke. Ron Kovic, born on the 4th of July, Massapequa, Long Island. So very proud of that in that we movie. Had, we had celebrity names on all the food at the Sidewalk Cafe and one of the salads, kind of like a Cobb salad or whatever, was the Ron Kovic. And Ron Kovic always got the Ron Kovic. He was a real character. And then... He would, what was really funny one day was somebody at a table next to him. He was almost always alone. Somebody at a table next to him was talking about going on a cruise. And he leaned over and said, I heard you say you're going on a cruise. They said, yes. He said, Tom Cruise is going to play me in a movie. (laughs) He made the segue from cruise to Tom Cruise to talk about him. And by the way, good for him. Uh, great American hero in Ron Kovic, but boy, what a character! And boy, he was—he was on—he was, on, was really—just uh, 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 living life on air when that was happening. The purpose of this podcast is to talk about when to play youth tackle football, and we're both Ooh. experts on this topic. Yes, Tom Looney is one of the greatest youth tackle football yes. players, Pop Warner player of all time. And I cover an NFL team, and I just came from a padded practice, which is very rare. It's like finding a dinosaur in your backyard. There's no more padded practices. So earlier today, I went to the Raiders' first ever padded practice, Wednesday, July 27th, and Josh McDaniels is the head coach. And the Raiders had their helmets on and their pads, and they had that bubble, that new uh, foam bubble that they padded bubble that they wear around their helmets. And they don't tackle to the ground. That's another really new thing now. Even with padded practices, they're not tackling to the ground. That's a philosophy. Guys are just going to get hurt. Now, you would think that they'd have to practice physicality and wrapping and tackling. They do that in drills. They do that in drills with dummies in this. They're not going to. And they've been doing it since they were a pop warner. They're not going to do it. They're not going to do it anymore. So, anyway, I went there, and then I came back. And it was great to hear the pads pop. They did some goal line. Oh, it is. And it's good, you know, that you have to play football. If you're going to play football, you have to play Practice tackle playing football. football. Yep. So I got back and I saw a tweet uh, later in the day that showed two little boys playing a tackle drill, and they were nowhere near older than five. Mm-hmm. They were tiny toddlers, and one ran over the other guy as the dads on the field were cheering. And I said, these are the worst coaches and dads. I wish they were out in the parking lot drinking beer and red solo cups. And I wish the moms and the wives were coaching the team because it's these dads, it's these a-hole dads with testosterone and they want their seven-year-old to truck someone and to do these Oklahoma drills and all that. And that happens every year at this time. So the reason why I think I'm very up to speed on this topic is I asked Jim Brown. I asked Fred Bolitnikoff. I've I've personally interviewed and asked people. And many of them had different responses, but the new response I'm getting now is just don't play tackle. Don't play tackle at four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years old. Play flag. Agility, catch the ball, uh-huh. eye sights, knowing how to come over, grab the flag, hand-eye coordination. You'll have plenty of time playing football and tackle football, but you can't wait too late, Tom, because you can't start playing tackle football. There's outliers who did it in high school and didn't play till their sophomore year. who are in Right, the they don't count, yeah. So I wanted to throw that out because a lot of parents who are listening to the podcast want to know the answer to this. Well, it's, an, it's a tough, nuanced answer, as uh, Intelligent Conversation always has tough, nuanced answers. In my Facebook, which is private, as you know, mm-hmm. my uh, 
my profile picture is the picture of my Pop Warner team. With my coach, Jay Palmer, how many times have I mentioned him? We, we ran the, uh, long before the NFL did, we ran the Wildcat. So when teams came up to defend us, they, and, and here, here's why it was brilliant, less mistakes. Pop Warner, you're making mistakes, you're fumbling all the time. So no handoff, just hike the ball directly to whoever's running the ball. Boom! Instead of two exchanges, there's one. So that was brilliant. We had very few uh, turnovers. We were undefeated. We were uh, champions three years in a row, two losses in three years. And, you know, I love talking about it. But as I look at the roster, because I want to make a point here with this, it's Dougie Taylor and Jeff Kane, Aldo Iannarelli, who I'm still very close with, there's Eric Rice and, and Mike Kane. They're Kane twins. Billy Oprah, my cousin. So I'm obviously for Silva. Joe Piasecki and Reggie Blanford and Scott Palmer, who I'm still really close to. And uh, Jeff Sherman and you know, Carl Owens, assistant coach Max Palmer, corrections officer, good man. And uh, what's my point there? Well, look at look at look at the memories I have, and look how I still remember. There's a couple of guys I, names I didn't get there, and I would have if I looked long enough and stared long enough. And my point is, is still one of the great memories I have. Uh, I started at 10, 10, 11, 12, 13 were my years. Uh, and I think so much, so many of the co-workers I've had over the years who were the best co-workers, including you, you played rugby. That's a team sport. We're team sport players and rugby is just like football. We're football players, especially we're always great co-workers because they understand the concept of team. And I've always said, if I was King, it would be the rule that Every boy would play football. And, you know, some boys are skinny or some boys are feminine. Well, we'll find a job on the team for them to play football so everybody can understand the concept of team. My theory is from talking to pro athletes now, you don't have to play tackle football at a very young age. And I agree with you on that. 10-11 is fine. But before that, the flag football idea you have, fine. And when you see kids doing it, if they're properly coached and they learn how to tackle and they're not – leading with their helmet. And that's also why this is a controversial topic, because if you want to become a college football player, let's go down. Nobody makes it to the NFL. Like, right. literally nobody, right? right? Like the, winning the lottery, you're right. It's a lottery ticket. But you can get an education and play in college. So if you want to play D1 college football at a real school, Miami, Oregon, Texas, I don't believe you can pick up football at 14, 15. No. You're going to college at 17. All right, they're going to be following you at 15 or 16. And there's outliers, of course. There's kids who played basketball and ran track, especially. Then the track The coach, Nigerian nightmare, remember him? The track coach says to the football coach, this guy's right. too fast. Uh, you got to put him on the team. But in general, if you want to play high school football, you should probably play tackle two years before. And then if you're going to play two years of you know, junior high school pre-high school tackle football, then you're going to play four years in high school. Then you're going to play four years or three years in college with the shot at the NFL. Those are the special players. But 98% of these kids are never going to play football after high school. And they're not going to miss the team because they didn't play tackle football when they were six, when they were seven years old. So it just came up to me today and be smart about it. And what I would recommend is for the moms and dads out there, but the moms are better at this because the the dads want to relive their youth 
with their sons. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Yep. They want their son to play because they played and they tackled and they made their son tough. Or because they, they couldn't play. There's other th- other things, too, yeah. because they had to work or whatever. Oh, my God, yeah. So what the mom should do is reach out to the coach and find out what they're going to do, how consistent they're going to be. Are they going to teach the proper fundamentals? And hopefully the mom says, yeah, I trust you. You're going to be the father figure of my son when he's on the field with you for two hours a night practicing and on game day. You're the last line of defense. You're going to protect my kid. Or the mom will say, you know, I'm going to come back next year, coach, because I'm going to play flag for another year. And then you take the concussions out of this, and you take the head trauma out of this for the kids who have the bad coaches, and they don't get the fundamentals, and they're cracking their skull at the age of 7, 8, 9, and 10. Yeah, I, although there's one part there that isn't fair, and mm-hmm. that is you're going to have CTE issues. Sure. Some people, if you play that sport, if you've got great coaches. If, the, if tomorrow we wave, wave a magic wand and it's only great coaches teaching it properly from coast to coast everywhere. And sometimes the bad coaches don't know. You know, we, we had great coaches that taught us improperly. We were spearing and using our head all the time as a weapon. And uh, I've just always wondered how much uh, CTE I got rolling around up there because of all the tackling I did with my head. It's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a tough question. It's one of those things where, gosh, you don't want the kid to miss out. And people always worry, in our cases, about the wussification of America. Do mommies have too much influence, as you're calling for mommies to have the influence? But the world needs our our prisons are full of guys. Women have a better manner about them. Our prisons are not full of women. Guys, uh, sometimes we... um, Guys are brain damaged to begin with without CTE. And uh, so we need a woman's touch in the world sometimes to soften things up a little bit. And I think they should have a big voice and win their kids play football. Martha Stewart had a pleasant experience in prison. But she had nice people around her. <laughs> you can go to a prison with nice women there, and then you can go to a prison if you're a woman, and there could be fights in the yard. Fights I've always been fascinated in those movies when they have the prison yard fight because they always have that sharp object that's oh, yes. on the bottom. The, the, yeah, the, the knife that they've made out of a toothbrush. Yes. Right, and they've really made them out of a toothbrush, and there's always a weapon, and they sneak in the weapons, or they make the weapons, and they always make the weapons in shop. In all the great prison movies, there's always a spot in the prison where they're doing laundry or they're fixing things and building things, and do they ever realize that the tools are gone and these tools are <laughs> It's tough. You know, well, as I always say, the world's a very disorganized place, and, and no matter how organized uh, your prison is or your National Football League or your, uh, or your Apple, whatever it is, play, you know, this world is a very disorganized place. And so there's, and no one knows what they're doing. We're all just BSing our way to the top. Uh, if, if you ended up on the top, it's, you, know, you, you don't necessarily know what you're doing. You were good at talking a good game. And uh, prisons find themselves, because I grew up in a town with two prisons, and they find themselves in a quandary because big, tough guys lifting weights are all of a sudden bigger and tougher. That's a problem. However, when they do lift weights and exercise, they're nicer mm-hmm. because people who exercise tend to get it all out in the gym. So it's always fi- six in one hand, half dozen in the other. And... I do. I've always been a big proponent of cable television in every cell because we need to protect the guards and the corrections officers and the people who work in the prison. So that's not a liberal idea. It's a pro guard idea. And from how often did I talk about grub of the prison guard on this uh, 
uh, when, when, we, when we've been working together because that's uh, of my one of, of my best friends. He's one of my several. And he always said it's the greatest babysitter there because he's always worked in prisons. The greatest babysitter there is television, TV. TV. So give them all one. Well, I'm the first ever sports talk host to watch The View. I'm the first <laughs> ever sports talk host to watch the entire series Downton Abbey in both movies. And I was one of the first sports talk hosts ever to watch Fox News. I did. Yes. And I watched know. it religiously. And now that I've gotten it out of my life, not completely, I watch. You know, I'll watch mm. a Tucker monologue or I'll watch breaking news and do all that. And I switch around and no one has any idea what I watch. No one knows what anybody watches. Oh, right. My, my yes. house is private. They think you watch angry shows because you yell. Yeah. <laughs> people wonder what type of cable. God, did you have CNN on? Yeah, when there's a hurricane, I have CNN on. Perfect for that. show or they're yep. doing something. Yeah, I'll do that. And I switch back and forth. And I just want to say our president has COVID. And he's coming out of COVID. And we mm. wish him just nothing but health going hey, forward. 79. Even if you don't like him. Even if you don't right. like him, if you didn't vote for him. But I just want to tell you that it's incredible now to see some of the assholes on Fox News sit there and make fun, make fun of the elderly, make fun of this president. He's making a ton of mistakes as he stands up. He can't put a sentence together. He goes to shake someone's hand and they're not there. We get it. We know what's happening there. I'm not talking about looking for votes and counting votes and QAnon and conspiracy theories. We usually leave it off this podcast. But I just can't believe that some of these Fox hosts now are becoming stand-up comedians. Like a guy like Jesse, Jesse Waters, a pretty good, talented guy, started off with Bill O'Reilly as the man in the street. Now he comes on every night in primetime, and he just mocks and laughs at and makes fun of not only the president but other politicians. It's basically comedy on cable news for politics, and they are so divisive and so despicable. They just can't do a news show. I know they cater to their base. I've been a part of their base. Just like if you're to the left and MSNBC or CNN's there. However it is, it's not about that. But the ability to make fun of the elderly, as my dad is 83 years old, and I sit here and I look at this, I'm just so disgusted that people can't even do opinionated cable news and be a pundit and without laughing and giggling and smirking and making fun of the elderly. It's really driving me crazy. And it's like 12th graders have taken yeah. over news. Yeah, yeah, right, because, yeah. it's, because and, and I mentioned that about the Internet, too, making fun of looks and waiting for a mistake. And remember I sent you the great speech he gave in, in Europe. It was some speech. And it was pretty amazing, too, because whatever his bedtime is, you know, when you go to Europe, you're jet-lagged. Biden gave this speech that I thought was one of the greatest speeches I ever heard. I said, let's see if it gets any coverage. And it didn't because there was no mistakes. And that's terrible when the, when the president gives a great speech and nobody mentions it because there were no mistakes. So now we're just looking for the mistakes that politicians make. Gotcha politics. And, as, and if it's not a mistake of moral turpitude or character, then, you know, sometimes we do have to write it off that somebody is on television, you know, all the time now. And they're going to they're going to make mistakes, as you know, when you're talking all the time. Uh, and you're improving, especially that's going to happen, and you're going to make mistakes, and you're going to you're going to call Kawhi Leonard, Kyrie Irving, like I did on the Jim Rome show with you. It's it's, it's just going to happen. But if somebody wants to sit around and focus on that, we can make anybody look bad. Yeah, I just think that the moral of this is that you don't have to make fun of the elderly. 
you, you, even though especially you're... it's it, it has there are yeah the overweight but especially the elderly are seem to always seem to be even before we elected an old president fair game my, my parents are the sharpest people you ever met in their age yeah, i know the sharpest I know. people you yeah. ever met and i i would be horrified if someone made fun of my mom or dad because they were getting a little bit older and, oh, and we forget about day. that we, we know when people talk about it's always been a big mantra of mine the lesser of two evils and, and it's just instead of just saying i'm not interested uh they say the lesser of two evils and we forget that people running for president are, are someone's son someone's daughter someone's dad and uh, i grew up with billy Cooten cooler's father running for city council every two years and in fourth grade billy Cooten cooler's father ran against ted sutton's father both in my class mm -hmm. in sixth grade billy Cooten cooler's father had become the city chamberlain so his mother ran for the empty seat katie Cooten cooler and so we always had, it was never the lesser of two evils running for the city council it was billy's mom or billy's dad and the mayor's daughter uh Mary Pat Ciccarello's daughter was in my class in high school. So it was never evil people running. It was someone's mom and someone's dad. And it's almost always someone's mom and dad running for office, not evil people. Well, the country's so divided. So if you're anti-Trump and you're tuning into anti-Trump cable television, yeah. there's several choices. And it's everything that you could do every day, especially late night comedy. And the talk shows, that's all they do. The monologues are there. That's one of the weakest things I've ever seen ever because I won't go back to Carson and the other talk show hosts that mm -hmm. kind of kept it down the middle and made fun of both sides. But now right. we're going on the longest run in late night talk show history on the networks where the entire monologue is making fun of the former president the entire time, every night of the week, five nights a week. That's getting to a point now where it's being recorded in television history, in the annals of television history, people are going, wait a second. Is there another form of comedy or another piece of doing monologues that we can do? And I think it's a crutch to them. And then when it comes to cable, as we talk about cable and just these the, the news shows, it's now we have a president that they're mocking because of his age and the fact that he's degenerating with his age. And we know this. And they can't do anything more original other than that, too. And that will be recorded in television history. Well, what's also going down in history, both on television that you're describing and in politics, is the WWE, WWFization of politics. Right. More outrageous things. You, you can't just have a conversation in the town square about issues of the day. You've got to hit your opponent over the head with a chair. <laughs> And that's that's what politics. You have to say outrageous things, and they always thought you couldn't get elected if you talked like an outrageous talk show host, and they were wrong. And the because uh, outrageous talk show hosts do talk like WWE guys. It's always very colorful and over the top. And now our politicians and our late night television programming and comedians are getting more over the top and more over the top and more over the top. Wow, thank you for listening to all 34 minutes and 34 seconds of the JT and Looney podcast, powered by our friends at Bet Online, where the game starts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.